Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Con Report wherever you get your podcast. You're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. Always much appreciated when you tune in. Today, I'm joined by Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer, who wrote an article earlier this week on the Washington Commanders' soon-to-be owner, Josh Harris. Now, of course, that still has to go through the voting process. Hasn't gotten there yet. May not happen till August. The Harris Group is very optimistic that it will occur. Still some things to be worked out. But Albert wrote an article on Harris talking to a few people who know him very well. And so I wanted to bring him in to give you some insight into Josh Harris and what kind of owner he might be based on some of the people Albert has talked to. We also talk about Sam Howell. What are some of the perceptions, things that he's heard about Howell, whether from the commanders or thoughts from the outside, and also Chase Young. His thoughts on both Albert and I went to Ohio State. We watched Chase Young throughout college. What does he think about Chase Young's future? So we get into all that. So stay tuned for that. Before I get there, don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. And, you know, there you go. Now, a couple things before I get to my conversation with Albert. One of the things I forgot to tell you about in my OTA wrap-up that was up went up Thursday morning and from Wednesday's practice. Actually, the podcast went up Thursday night. The video went up, um, excuse me, the podcast went up Wednesday night. The video went up Thursday morning. Anyway, in that, I forgot to tell you about Jamin Davis. He had a minor cleanup procedure on his knee, so he is not out there right now. So just wanted to give you that update. Kalik Hudson was working in his place. I can't tell you how well he did because I wasn't focused on him. I will probably watch him a little bit later because I think he's a person to watch throughout the spring. He had a really good final game. They know it. They're sort of intrigued by, is that a springboard for him or what? So we'll, I'll get into a little bit more of that in future episodes when I have a chance to pay more attention. But anyways, there you go. I also... I can't remember, so if, if I'm repeating myself here, bear with me. But in the OTA wrap-up, one of the things I originally did was talk about the offensive line, and then I had to re-record it because the sound was really bad. Anyway, so when I re-recorded, I can't remember if I mentioned about Ricky Stromberg, the rookie center. One thing to know that it was Nick, the, the center, the center um, position was Nick Gates. He's going to start there. This isn't a competition. Nick Gates is going to start. They they really like him. They like his presence in the huddle. I've heard good things about him there. But he's going to be the starting center. Tyler Larson was working with the twos. In, in some individual and group sessions, Ricky Stromberg was working with the threes. When they went to full teamwork, it was Nolan Laufenberg working with the threes. Now, that's just where Stromberg is starting, but I just want to pass it along. What does it mean? Really not a whole lot yet because he's not someone they're expecting to play this year anyway. But for as a third-round pick, 
Your job is to get ready to soon to start within the first, within the next year or two. But I just wanted to give you a little bit update on that. There's a lot for him to learn. And when you're a center, there's really a lot to learn. So I wouldn't take read anything into that other than they have some veterans ahead of them. All right. And then the final thing is on the trademark stuff. And we talked a little bit about that on the, the OTA wrap-up practice, but do not take this as, oh, there could be momentum for a new or different name. This isn't where that's headed. They are very confident that they'll eventually get this through. And other people I've talked to are confident that they'll get it through. It's just a matter of which avenue do they go down to do it? How long does it take? And I also have not, in talking to multiple people within the Harris group, I have yet to sense any appetite from them to go through a name change process. It's, it's absolutely not a top priority for them. Stadium and a lot of other things are high, much higher on any list. I'm not sure that the name is even on the list, to be honest. But not my decision. It will be a question that I know gets asked when, when, whenever the Harris group does take over, if and when, and the Harris group would say when. Um, and I think a lot of other owners, you know, Jerry Jones expressed very much some optimism earlier this week, or not optimism, he said they're going to do it. And Roger Goodell said this is where it's headed. So anyway, but I always kind of qualify that because until everything's signed and crossed off, you just always have to kind of say it like that. But with the name, again, I have yet to sense any appetite for them to tackle no pun intended, that issue. Anyway, so, but just so my point is, don't start getting your hopes up that this is going to go down that road where if, if it ever did, we're miles from that. So that's it. That's it for me. And I'm not here to puncture your hopes, but I just want to provide you with some realism and just what I, with, with what I've heard. If I heard the opposite, I would tell you, and I haven't. So anyway, that's it for me. Um, I will be back with another episode um, next week. We're going to have some clips from some of the OTA practices up on the Empire site. And um, so anyway, here's my conversation with SportsIllustrated.com's Albert Breer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Did you know the largest ropes course in Zipline Park in the country is right here in the DMV? Located in the heart of Montgomery County, the Adventure Park at Sandy Spring combines climbing and ziplining to create an aerial obstacle course unlike any other. With challenges anywhere from 10 to 75 feet in the air, there is something for all skill levels. Looking for some family time or the perfect date night before football season starts? You can even climb and zip line under the stars. Would you rather keep your feet on the ground? Give axe throwing a try. With their projector systems, you can throw at traditional targets 
play tic-tac-toe, connect four, or even hunt zombies. Listeners of this show can get $5 off any ticket by entering the code KIME23DC at checkout. That's KIME, K-E-I-M, 23DC. So there you have it, folks. Climbing, zip lining, axes, food, and bonfires right in your backyard. The weather is warming up, so it's the perfect time to head outside and join the adventure at www.theadventurepark.com. That's www.theadventurepark.com and enter promo code KIME23DC. Albert, we could sit here and talk about Ohio State, and I think people can see in my background and yours, <laughs> it may not be the topic that people want to talk about, so I'll just skip off that, except for it's like if it's about Chase Young or Terry McLaurin. But anyways, I do want to start with, first of all, thanks for coming on, but secondly, you wrote a big profile on Josh Harris the other day, talking to a lot of people who have known him a long time, and I'm curious in general, what was your big takeaway from writing that article? That uh, I, I think mostly that like Washington fans should be optimistic about where this is going. And, um, you know, like that, not just like this guy's going to bring a level of investment because I think most new owners in this day and age come in with the idea they're going to invest heavily. You have to be very, very wealthy just to get in the club in the first place. So you have to be capable of investing. They're not going to approve you otherwise. Um, but I think the experience that he has as an owner with the Devils, with the Sixers, with Crystal Palace over in England, I think gives him, you know, I, I think a, a level of expertise that maybe the Waltons lacked going into last year with the Broncos or that David Tepper didn't really have, even though he's a minority owner with the Steelers going into um, owning the Panthers in 2019. Um, and you know, like it's not, it's obviously not all applicable, but there's a lot that is, you know, and, um, I think, you know, sort of pointing to you know, his desire to innovate his willingness to kind of be hands off and empower people and find the right people. Um, and you know, his, um, the, the way like he runs a team is consistent with the way a lot of successful owners run their teams, which is they're involved. Like they're not like absentee. Right. Um, but they're not like in the weeds of player personnel. They're not in the weeds of coaching. They're asking tough questions of the people they put in charge, but they're also empowering those people. So I think there were, there are a lot of like, there are just a lot of things that I think are positive traits. And, um, you know, the great thing for, for Washington fans here, I think is like, he's already made some of the mistakes that owners generally make early in their time you know, with the Sixers and Devils. And so some of the growing pains that you'd normally have as a first-time NFL owner, he'll have some, but like, you know, he's already gotten past some of those in um, in, 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 in his ownership of teams in the Premier League and the NHL and the NBA. What do you think for guys like Tepper and, you know, the newer owners, what do you think maybe is the biggest shock to them or the biggest thing they need to learn that he has already learned? Yeah, like a lot of these people, these guys are, I mean, it goes without saying, you have to be a titan of whatever industry you're in, or you have to inherit, right? Like to right. be in that position. So either you've got a sense of entitlement because you inherited it, right? Or you've been at the top of your profession. And so there's this feeling, I think, for a lot of guys coming in that you're like going to snap your fingers and be the smartest guy in the room. And that might not be the case because- while Josh Harris is going to walk in that room and 
you know, he is a kingpin of private equity. Right. He's walking into a room where David Tepper walked into that room as a kingpin of hedge funds and where the Waltons are, you know, basically American royalty, you know, and Shad Khan, whatever it was, 12 years ago, came in as the king of auto parts. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so a lot of these guys come in with this idea like, oh, well, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to have ideas that no one's ever had before. And a lot of times they've had time to think about what they would do. Um, and so they have, you know, I think sometimes you'll see them come in and they'll have a real strong feeling for what they want to, uh, what they, what they want to put in place and the sorts of things they want to do without realizing that maybe some of those ideas have already been tried by smart people right. in the league and they don't work. You know, like I think Cleveland's a good example, you know, like Jimmy Haslam came in and he wanted to really lean into analytics and how many fits and starts did they have to go through until they got it right. You know, and I think now they've got good people in place, but, you know, early on, like they, they empowered analytics people and pissed off the football people. Then they tried to kind of split it up. Then they, they, they just, and then they went all heavy football. Like they, it took a long time for Jimmy Haslam to get that mix right. Where when he came in, I'm sure he thought, I'm just going to think for, I'm going to be a, the forward thinking person in this group without realizing that like a lot of the ideas that he had had already been tried. So I think that's sort of like, part of what you've got to work through. And Josh Harris has already had that experience, you know? I mean, look, like the process in Philadelphia, that was with the first team he owned, you know? like, And I'm sure there are a ton of things that he learned from that that he wouldn't try with Washington because, you know, he already stubbed his toe or fell on his face doing some of those things. What so I think that's where, like, you, the, the experience of having been an owner before um, should really serve him and that he's already made some of the mistakes that, um, and at first time NFL owners typically make early on, that is the reason why a lot of times these, these owners will go through two, three GMs, two, three head coaches before they get it right. Right. And it's funny. Cause you, one of the things you talked about in that article is I think there was some conversation maybe with Adam Silver that he had yeah. about like, there was a fear. Would he have a short-term outlook? And that seemed to be, that was the obviously well, cause it was very, cause it, yeah. Cause it, cause it, cause it matched up with private equity, you know, right. and like in private equity, I mean, look, like I would say, you know, if you're in private equity, you've probably done some cutthroat things, you know, like, so like, that's the other side of it. But I, I, the concern, like with a private equity investor would be that the guy, like, you know, guys made his money coming in and basically trying to, you know, pull on every efficiency, like in some cases, gut companies and then sell them at a profit. Right. And that was the concern with a private equity guy coming in was that, is that what it's going to be here? And, you know, he promised Adam Silver, he's like, I see myself handing this down to my children, like this is going to be in my family for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, sure enough, like you look at the patience with which he operated early on and letting the process play out with the Sixers and even with the way he built the Devils. Um, and you can see it, you know, you can see like, OK, like he took a long term approach there and he didn't have an itchy trigger finger when things weren't going right. And this isn't something that he's looking at as, you know, another you know, another page in his portfolio. Um, and so I think, you know, for that reason, some of the things that you look at him and he, some of the, some of the areas where you'd look and you'd say like, it was a private as the NFL's first like private equity guy to become like a, a principal owner. Like, is there going to be those sorts of problems? Um, look, I think he's going to ask a ton, a ton of tough questions. Um, and I think he's going to probably analyze everybody in the organization and assess everybody in the organization and how they're doing things and all that, all, all that other stuff. But the evidence with the Sixers and the, and the Devils shows 
But you know, he's willing to be patient. He's willing to invest deeply in in, in, in the teams that he runs. And there is people here should be asked tough questions of because they haven't won in a long time. Right. So that, that, that's what people should want. The other thing is that, you know, when Dan Snyder came here, I know in talking to some people way back when they worried about him knowing how to put together a team, what would it, cause he didn't really, he wasn't really a team sport guy. Josh is a sports guy from growing up too. I mean, he was a, yeah. he was a college wrestler to you that you talked about. How do you think like, how does that help him? in a situation like this. Yeah. Does you know, it. it's, I think it was Jonathan Kraft who brought it up to yeah, me. He's, he you know, Jonathan, for people who don't know, that's Robert Kraft's son. He's the president of the Patriots. And, um, you know, he sort of brought up like how he felt like that, um, that sport um, lends itself to tenacious people, lends itself to competitive people. Like in other sports, you can be really, really talented and maybe not have like some of those traits, Every teammates make up for it, or they can hide it in certain ways. Um, in wrestling, there's no hiding, you know, and so like that's where the Jonathan felt like it really came through and who he is as a businessman and how he runs his teams is how tenacious he is and how competitive he is. And that's sort of mirrored what Adam Silver said about him and in, in saying, like, you know, for every fan who loses sleep over their team losing a game, I promise you that 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 Josh Harris is gonna lose more sleep than you do, you know. And um, so I think that's it really is like the competitiveness and how important it's going to be for him, um, you know, to win. And, um, you know, and, and I think it even goes to another level in this case, because, you know, the, the, the I mean, Washington's his hometown. And, you know, I, I, when he had a conversation, he had a conversation with Adam Silver about it. And, you know, Adam was frank with me. He said, like, my concern, whenever something like this happens is like, all right, you're going to you know shift your focus from one of my teams to another league's team. Right. And, um, and, you know, and, and, and Josh explained to him flat out, he said, this is a special opportunity. So like, I'm not going to lose sight of my goals with the Sixers, but he's like, Hey, this is, this is, this is, this is an important one for me because I'm from Washington and I grew up rooting for that team. And I know what that team was, you know, in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties, you know, like that, I, like, like this is I sort of, I, I think it, it almost like seems like what he said to Adam was like, this is sort of a calling for him. What else did you take away from that story? Cause there are some other things you, you know, you have Meek Mill in there. You have, you know, other stuff about marginalized communities. What do you think is something else that you really took away that is kind of highlights to you who he is and, and how it shapes him as an owner? Yeah. I, I think a couple of things, like, again, like the, the, the trusting people, you know, the, the real estate developer that I talked to, Greg Reeves, you know, mm -hmm. has said that, um, and, and for those who didn't read the story, be sure to check it out. Yeah, <laughs> um, but, yeah but I, I had, uh, you know, like the, the real estate developer um, was very, very, um, was interesting to talk to on this because he said that they, you know, had had some land that they were going to develop, you know, and they were, and they were targeting like underdeveloped um, impoverished communities and trying to revitalize those areas. And um, they were they were they were raising money. And, you know, like part of the problem with some of the interest that they were getting is like people wanted to come in and take in a take on a controlling interest, you know, and, and sort of point the developers on what to do. And Josh didn't want to do that. Josh wanted to come in and Josh was going to Josh said, no, I want you to I, I you know, I, you know, I, I, I wanted this to be your show because I'm going to help you. And then but it's going to be your show. And, you know, then Greg said that, like, you know, down the line when they were, you know, working on the project and, and in the weeds of it, Josh gave him the best advice he'd got, which was you can't be a charity. 
Like charity's great. He's like, but you want people to want to invest in you. So don't just do this project based on, you know, like on, on being a, being a do-gooder, make it a good investment for people. And, you know, like that sort of advice carry, helped carry them through. And I think that it's sort of indicative of a guy who he's going to invest in people. He's also going to push them and he's going to let them do their job, but he's going to constantly be making sure like that he's getting the very best out of them. And so I think that that was a, that was a big piece of it for me was seeing the, who he was as a manager and who he was as a leader. And like, I think that that's going to be an important piece of, um, you know, who he is as the owner in Washington. You know, I, I also think, you know, just kind of going through it and, um, you know, like looking at his background and, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the way that, um, the way that he got involved with some of these teams and, um, you know, the different levels at which he has um, been able to grow the teams. Like we all know the issues the devils had, right? Like anybody who's followed hockey, like when they were winning Stanley cups, they had trouble drawing. Right. So, you know, he invested a lot in trying to get the fans to come out to Newark to see their games. The Sixers, like the Sixers are really popular. The Sixers, like he's looking at building a new arena in downtown because he thinks that that's going to be the best thing to sustain the team. And that's something they don't have to do. I mean, it's not like the re- the, re- the arena they have is dilapidated. He wants to, you know, get into an arena that's going to be a better revenue generator for, for, for the team. That's also going to, you know, be looking at where the fan's going to be in 2030 and 2040 and going forward. Why does that matter? Well, it's obvious, right? Like that's stadium development. That's rebuilding trust with the fans. And I think that that's going to be such an important part. Because, you know, you know much better than I do how broken the trust has gotten there. Trust is the biggest word. And I, I actually was talking to somebody in the Harris group the other day. And I said, like, that's one of the number one things you have to do is rebuild that trust. And yeah, I think yeah, they know and, that. And I think like the, the stadium part of it's going to be important, you know, because, you know, the way I look at it with all these stadiums, man, like we saw with Thursday Night Flex this week, like they don't. Well, he doesn't give a crap about, you know, about the fan in the stands anymore, you know? So the league isn't going to do things that are going to make it easier for teams to, to sell out stadiums. Their priority is the television product. Cause that's where most of the money's coming from. Right. So like teams are going to have to be more creative to entice fans to come out and they're going to have to do more. That's what the scoreboard in Dallas is. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's what LA costing $6 billion is like, that's what these things are. And so, I think Josh is going to have a handle on that now with what they're spending for the team. How much are they going to be able to invest back into a stadium? I don't know. Um, and if that stadium's in DC, how expensive is it going to be? That's a, that's an open question too. Right. Um, so there are some challenges there, but I think he understands, I think the experience that he has in real estate development, the experience that he has in trying to attract devil's fans to Newark, the experience that he has in um, building a new arena even when it might not be necessary quite yet in Philadelphia, the work that they're doing there and it's not done yet, but the work they're doing there, I think should serve them well. And, 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 and trying to get a stadium project that works long-term done either in DC, Maryland, or Virginia. And so let's, again, people can check that out on SI.com. Let's go now to the field, what pro- the product he's actually going to get on the field. And I know you wrote a little bit about Sam Howell this week. We had a chance to see Sam Howell in OTAs earlier this How week. How do you look? Honestly, like, you know, it's funny because I think the ball jumps out. I think his, where the placement of the ball, and you know what, I talked about this on my podcast, but the placement of the ball on air is really good. And it doesn't always 
it's on air. So you always take it with a grain of salt, except that I've seen a lot of quarterbacks here who don't put the ball in the right spot, even against yeah. air. Right. And then in, when they were seven on seven, some really good throws, 11 on 11, some aggressive throws that were picked and throws that you probably shouldn't make. But like my thing is you're a young quarterback, see what you can do, test it and see. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think his placement is pretty good. It gives guys a chance to have to be catch, but I'm curious what you've heard about him just in, in your. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I, I think like, I'm sure it's a lot of what you've heard, John, why they believe in him. You right. know, it's like the, that's the grade they had going into his junior year at, at North Carolina, which was like a low one high two. Now he didn't play great that year. Well, why they lost Javante Williams. They lost Diami Brown, who you guys are familiar with. They lost Michael Carter. They had all these NFL guys on the team his sophomore year, and then those guys were gone when he was a junior. They ran him, if you look at it, like 15 yeah. times a game. Wow. Like They turned him into Tebow because they didn't have any, any other answers. So like in a lot of ways, he was taking one for the team, which hurt his draft stock. And then they they grade him out, you know, in 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 uh, in in January and February and March of of 2022, and his grade was still like pretty good. Like I think it was yeah. like a low two, high three yeah. for them. Yep. So yep. you know, and then you get to the point where okay, like it's the fifth round, and they didn't want to like hurt Carson's feelings, so right. they, didn't, they they didn't plan to draft one, but like the the grade demanded it at that point. So there's that part of it. There's you know, what, what he was showed on the scout team last year, which my understanding right. is like the defensive players would say to coaches, Sam looks really good. Like yep. Sam is throwing with anticipation. He's throwing away from leverage. He's moving us with those, his eyes. He's doing these things on the scout team. Right. Then Carson goes on IR. He becomes the backup. He's showing he's absorbed the offense while doing all of this. Right. So there's that part of it. And then he gives you just enough in, in week 18 to make you feel good about him translating it onto the field. So is it going to work? I don't know. I do think there's another level to this too, which is the saving money part of it. Correct. And it's, which allows you to spend elsewhere. And I don't think it's just them like Atlanta and Tampa are doing similar things where it's like, there's this pushback against paying for a, a middle of the road quarterback. Like, are you better off paying Derek Carr? 40 or 35 million or Baker Mayfield, 10 million. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's like the operative question here. Are you better off paying Jimmy Garoppolo 25 million or Sam Howell on a rookie deal and making him your starter? You know, I sort of feel like that's what's gone on here in Atlanta and Tampa and Washington yep. to me are three good examples of how it's almost like the max contract in the NBA or the NBA collectively decided we're paying, we're giving too many guys max contracts. And the, the 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 herd got thin, you know. Um, I think it's the same sort of thing here, where like the high end quarterback, like if you're paying for Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, you sign a check and you don't look back, right? Like if, but if, but if you're paying for a guy who is maybe like the 10th best quarterback or the 12th best quarterback or the 15th best quarterback, the price is so high now. Is it worth it? Is it worth doing it? You know. And that's a question a lot of teams have comp contemplated. And, you know, we saw three teams this offseason act on that. And I think Washington's in that group. So it's, you know, it's thinking a lot of howl, but it's also like kind of strategically looking at it and saying, are we better off going and getting Derek Carr? Or do we, you know, have Sam Howell here, bring in Jacoby Brissett, and then, you know, then we can take care of Deron Payne. Then we can look at extending Montez Sweat. Then we can bring in Andrew Wiley from the chiefs, you know, allows you to do some other things that, you know, is going to create a better environment for the quarterback to thrive in. And I a thousand percent agree with all that. Cause you know, everything that you've talked about, you know, I've talked to people here about the same stuff and that is a, that's all a big deal. 
Um, the other thing is funny because you bring up the NBA and it's like my, you know, I'd hear GMs years ago talking about if it's not a max player, don't give them a max contract. Right. It's and throwing great money at good players. is not right. Good. Exactly. And so I think I know that's part of it. And they feel like if they can try him with enough, then he can be good. What do you hear from people outside of Washington about, about him, about Howell? About Howell? Mm -hmm. A lot of uncertainty. You know, I mean, there are people that like, I mean, here's the thing about him. Like everyone liked the makeup, his makeup. Like I remember, like like the going into that twenty two draft, and that was seen as like a wasteland for quarterbacks that class, right? But the two guys like that, like were a plus character wise, where it's like, if it's in there, like he's gonna find it, you know. Where where him and Desmond Ritter, which is interesting because they play for two of the teams we yeah. just discussed, you know. But him and Ritter were kind of seen as these these guys where the makeup was really, really, really good, right? And then the question is, can you get around some of the things physically that maybe they're limited with? With Ritter, it was accuracy. So can you develop the accuracy? Um, and with Howell, I think it was more, with Howell, it was more size, mm -hmm. you know, and can he be effective? Can he win from the pocket consistently, you know, um, with the type of player he is? So I think, like, a lot of people believe in the person. Um, you know, I think that there's some divide on on where his ceiling is physically right. as a player. Um, and again, like for most teams at this point, when you're looking at Sam Howell, they don't see what's happening in practice. They don't right. see what happened in training camp. So they're going mostly 90% of it for them is they're going off their college grade on him. Right. And the reality is everyone's college grade allowed for him to fall to the fifth round. Right. So while they like the person, there are like questions whether or not it's going to work. Right. And you're right. Like they haven't seen it. And I think that's what I'm curious to see in the summer, how it translates, because we have, I have seen improvement from the time camp opened last year to now. And some of yeah. it's just going to be confidence and you feel better. The footwork is better, et cetera. Where do you think this team though fits in the, I, a lot of it's going to depend on his play, but how do you think, where do you think this team fits in the NFC East right now? You know, what's funny is like, I, I almost think like, like, not that, like, he's, uh, like, a bystander in this, but I, I don't think he's the biggest variable. Like, I think the biggest variable is what happens on the offensive and defensive lines. Yes. Like, I really do. Like, I think, you know, like, as much as you've invested on the defensive line, that that group can't be just good. That group has to be great. Right. You know, right. and that means getting more out of Chase Young. It right. means Montez Sweat staying healthy. It means getting the most out of Jonathan Allen and, and Deron Payne. Like, with what you've invested – that group has to be a top five group. Right. And then, you know, I think a lot of the problems last year on offense weren't so much the quarterback as they were the line, you know? So like, I don't know that like quarterback, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think quarterback was a huge problem last year. Now, was it, what did they have, you know, Josh Allen back there? No, but like, I don't think it was like this. I don't think it was this train wreck last year. Their line so, was an issue. Huh? Their line was an issue. Yeah. And I think the line, I, so I think the line is the big thing, you know? And so, you know, how much does Andrew Wiley give you coming over from Kansas city? I think is a really, really big question. Um, you know, like, like, what does it look like with, you know, guys like guys like Charles Leno? Like, I, I think that those are the big questions, you know? And I, I, I look at it as if you are solid on the lines of scrimmage, you're going to be competitive in every game. That's how the Eagles are built. Right. You know, exactly. like one of the reasons the Eagles have been so consistent is because they're consistently great in that area. Right. And so I think if they're better on the offensive line and elite on the defensive line, then they have a chance to compete with maybe anybody, but Philly in that division and Philly could take a step back. So, and I think that certainly in a weekend NFC could put them in the race for a wild card spot. Um, and you know, again, like a lot of that's going to 
what ha- like 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 what sort of you know, what's what sort of bump does does Bienemy give them? Right. Um, you know, that's a factor too. There there are a bunch of swing factors, but I say the biggest one is how the two lines play. And if you can be good on the offensive line and great on the defensive line, you have a chance. And so we'll wrap up with going back to Ohio State, but it's Chase Young. So going into a very crucial year for him, what do you hear about him and what would your expectations be for him? Yeah. I heard that knee injury was a lot more serious than people it was, That patellar tendon was a big deal. Yeah. I heard like, you know, I think a lot of people looked at it as a, as a typical ACL and why isn't he coming back? Like I heard it was like in November and December, like it was not pretty the way he was like, when they moved, but they put him back out there in the practice field. There were a lot of people that were like, like, you know, like, like right. and I, and I think like, that's, I mean, really like legitimately, that's the biggest question now, you know? And so like I, that's why I, you know, if I'm another team and I'm looking for a pat, I was looking for a pass rusher during the draft. I would have called Washington and seen what they w- might be willing to do there. So um, look, like you saw what I did in 2019 right. <laughs> um, and you know what he can be. And you saw what he was in 2020. Um, I think this really does boil down to health and whether or not that knee, if this is a, like the sort of problem like Jeffy and Clowney had, like, and I don't, know how many of your listeners remember this but jevity and clowny hurt his knee in his first game as a pro had microfracture surgery yeah. still wound up being a really good player but that guy that we thought he was going to be at south carolina like i think the knee injury kept him from ever becoming right. that guy and so that's the question to me with chase young now is like is like he passed it or is he not passed it and um i think if he's not passed it like you hope he can get to again like that clowny level where can be a tough, hard guy to deal with, but maybe not the havoc wreaker that you thought he was going to be. And maybe he's an eight, nine, 10 sack guy. If he's fully healthy, you know, the sky's the limit. Both you and I know that. Right. And he can, he can change games with how he plays. And you're right. Like, you know, you start here in, in, the, in the fall, like it's the patellar tendon really complicated his recovery. Yeah. Because that, that really made it a difficult one to, to get back from. And yeah. And I think clown, like, honestly, I think Clowney is like the best example because Clowney really had to kind of like reinvent himself as a player because of the injury that he had. Right. And, you know, it's funny because you rarely see like rarely see a career ending injury, a true career ending injury anymore. So we all think like, Oh, like these guys always bounce back from everything. And there are injuries that like, they may not end a guy's career, but they do affect the way that he plays for the rest of his career. And so I just hope that this isn't one of those for Chase. Um, and I think there were some encouraging signs at the end of the year, but I know when he first tried to come back to that, from that injury, it wasn't pretty. Nope, it was not. And it'll be a big storyline this year because, again, you talk about this D-line needing to be great. He's the guy that can take it from being very good to great because he can make game-changing plays when he's right. And some of that's going to be pass rush approach and all that. But I do agree. I think if he's if he's healthy and right, he can make the kind of plays that that turn games around. Oh, I mean, so. like, can you imagine, like, what like what does it become if Montez Sweat is suddenly your second edge rusher? You know right. what I mean? Like, right. what right. does it become if like they can't like help on on Payne and Allen inside? You know, like I right. he can completely change the dynamic like one hundred percent for everyone on that defense. Like, yep. like he if he is who he if he is who he is who he was his last year at Ohio state and his first year in the pros, like he can generate interceptions for Emmanuel Forbes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. the sort of player we're talking about. Absolutely. Albert, uh, appreciate you coming on. Tell people where they can find you. You can find me at SI.com. 
a variety of different, I don't know, television and radio <laughs> platforms. I won't bore everybody going through them. I think they're all in my Twitter bio. And go. yeah, you can find me on Twitter too, like the rest of us, right? There you go. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. You got it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Albert for joining me. And thank you, as always, for tuning in. I'll be back next week, early next week, whether Monday or Tuesday, with another episode. And don't forget, there's another OTA session on Wednesday. I'll be out there and provide another wrap-up after OTA practice just to give you the latest on what I saw from practice because it's a lot of intrigue with this team. Where are they going to go? And it all starts right now. That's it for me. Talk to you next time.